I'll just tell you just one quick thing. I wasn't planning on sharing the story, but uh, it was really cool this week. Uh, so, you know, obviously we bought 48 acres of land, eight, eight. If you don't know, we paid for eight, and the other gift, the other 40 was gifted, paying like $450,000 for a $2.4 million piece of property, right? We're super excited about that, right across from uh, Governor's Town Club. And so this week I had the opportunity to go meet with uh, Bob Weatherford. You may know who Bob Weatherford is. Did you vote for him, those who live in Cobb County? Uh, he's the county commissioner, and, and uh, so we, we've become friends. Actually, we became friends when we did breakfast this week. We've known each other, have some common friends, but uh, we sat down about an hour and a half, and, and we talked, and, and you know, we just kind of talked. We talked life for a little bit, and then we talked about the property, and I just said to him, I said, I'll be honest with you, man. I said, I, I, I want our church to be a blessing to your region, and he looked at me. He said, I only know two churches in our area, and he named them. He goes... None of the others actually do anything. And I said, he said, don't be one of those. And I said, well, let me tell you what we're talking about doing, <laughs> right? Since we have 48 acres, we feel very sober. So I sat down and specifically talked about the foster care piece. I talked about the foster care piece. I talked about the influence that we had in, in Paulding County, the, the relationships that we had, the connection we had with DFACS that was very rich and that is very rich and deep. I talked about our relationship with the juvenile judge, how rich and deep that is, the con- ways that we're connected. And I said our goal and desire is to come into Cobb County in this specific region and, and do something very similar and have maybe not the same type of, the same level of influence, but to have the same type of influence. That we would come in and we would meet, we recognize and actually meet the needs of your region. And he looked at me after, we just got super excited, we talked through stuff, and he said, man, can we just get together on a more regular basis and just hang out? And I'm like, absolutely, right? And I tell you that story because when we talk about foster care and we talk about Stan Sunday, we talk about these families and stuff, like, I don't want you, listen, hear me real quick, I don't want you to feel guilty because you weren't standing up here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's really easy to go, oh, and then beat yourself up because you're not one of these. Listen, this is their call. And it may not be your call in this season of life. And so, number one, don't feel guilty for that. Literally. So what I would ask in turn is go, my gosh, celebrate that God has called people to do this. Right? Celebrate that. Like, I mean, literally, like, get super excited that right about 20% of all foster families in Paulding County come to Vintage. Like, get excited about that. Right? That's incredibly awesome. Number two. Get excited that the community, like I, I said to Bob, I said, Bob, isn't it crazy that a church our size has this level of influence and relationship on a high level because of foster care? He goes, I really can't believe it. I said, it has to be Jesus, right? It's like, absolutely, right? It's this, this really cool dynamic. And so my point is, I was like, get excited about what God is doing. And then get excited, like what Connie named, I think it's beautiful. Just get excited that God puts you, like God puts you here. And he's saying to you, just do something. If it's Bubba, like Bubba's sitting right over here. He would be really embarrassed that I'm pointing him out and get mad at me. He's like, why'd you point me out? He's sitting right here. He said, give one dollar. All the guys in this group are giving, you saw them. They're all giving a dollar every week. And it is, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm watching the video and I'm tearing up. I'm like, God, it's such a small thing, but it is the loaves and the fishes, right? That's all that it is. So all I'm saying to you is like, I'm not asking you to go buy a fishing charter boat and bring in all the fish. I'm just asking for two fish. That's all he's asking for, because he takes those and he multiplies them out. And so for you, listen, we're just asking you to stand with us. 
Right. Those who are standing here, just stand with us. Bring us one meal a year and that'd be awesome. Listen, when you make a meal tomorrow, just make two and then freeze it. We got a big freezer right here. You can put it in there and go, God, thank you. Would you multiply this meal? So you see what I'm getting at, right? I'm not asking, so you better do this and stand up. No, I'm not saying. Just stand with us and be partner with us and be part of the family and just find some way to be a blessing in the context of what we're doing in, 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 in Paulding County. But now, as we begin to take the next step of foster care in Cobb County, and then in Bartow, and Bob looked at me and goes, you know, you know Bartow needs more help, right? <laughs> right? I said, I do. So help me make those connections and we'll get into it. So all that, so what I'm asking this morning is just real simple. Two things. Just figure out, hey, God, what little thing, what one dollar, what loaf and fish thing, God, are you calling me to do in the next three months? Right? Just kind of look at it quarter by quarter. Number two, I mean, would you literally take some time every week and just pray? You can pray for the families. You can pray for the kids. Take some time and pray for the parents who had to give their children up to the state. Pray for them. They don't want to. At least some of them don't. Right? Pray for their conviction. Pray for God's movement. Pray for healing. Pray for restoration in their heart. Pray for their salvation if they don't know Jesus. And recognize he loves them. Right? He loves them. The picture here that Laura painted this morning is a painting of a, of a bicycle. My wife texts me right here to let me know to remember to do that. I remembered. So this is a bicycle, right? She, and Laura would probably say she's not done. She wants to do some other stuff to it, and we're going to give her a chance to do that later. But, but this is a picture of a, a bicycle, and behind it, what you don't know is there's all these quotes from Dr. Seuss' Oh, the Places Will Go book. Do you remember reading that with your kids back in Oh, the Places That Will Go? You want to talk about a prophetic book that speaks to the nature of our spiritual life? Oh, the heights that will hide, blah, 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 that will fly, even, but then sometimes we don't, right? It's in the book. It's such a powerful book. I love reading my kids. I read it and forget they're there, right? I love it, right? God always speaks to me when I read this book. And the idea is, oh, the places that will go, they're dark places. There are places of light. There are high places and there are low places, Right? And this, but the idea is that we're going someplace, this foster, this foster families, we're going someplace as a church, just doing things in foster care. Oh, the places that we'll go, some places are dark. We go and sit with judges and we sit in courtrooms and it's overwhelming. Then we sit with families and it's distressing, right? We sit with the kids and it's beautiful, right? We sit with one another and we just tell stories of how hard it is and then we laugh and cry together, right? And, and then we sit there and have moments where you give loaves and fishes. And we go, we can do this. And God's moving, right? Oh, the places that will go. And so when we see this painting, it may be speaking to you in some other place and some other way. And that's awesome, right? But for us this morning, we just recognize, God, oh, the places that will go. Some are easy. Some are difficult. Some are beautiful. And some seemingly aren't. But in that, God, you're moving. You have a call. And we're excited to be part of it. Okay? So, stand Sunday. Now, this morning we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dive into Ephesians. And what I would say this morning as we dive in is that we're gonna talk about the empowering of the Spirit of God. And what I want you to recognize the empowering of the Spirit of God really represents everything going on in life that we hear this need to be people who, who recognize our need every day for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'm asking. Pay attention real quick. I need you to listen this morning. I believe even as we're in worship, I felt God say, 
very clearly. Like, listen, there are things that I want to say today, and there's so many moving parts here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14, 21, that you could get lost in some of them. In a sense, like there's things that God's speaking and doing, but I want you to listen this morning because God, I believe, wants to speak to every single one of you from from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. So do your best to stay awake, right? Forget about all football games, unless your team won last night, and let's just dive into Ephesians chapter 3. Here we go, starting in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power again to the Holy Spirit together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that it's worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So if you remember last week, we said that in verse 1, Paul is about to begin to pray, and then he pressed pause, right? He pressed pause, and in pressing pause, he wanted to remind the Gentiles and the Jews the story of, one, his conversion, the story of him grasping the mystery of God's love to woo him and to call him from a great distance, Right. He had just been responsible for murdering Stephen. And God said, hey, in grace, I'm going to love you and draw you to myself. And that's like a mystery. How would somebody do that? Right. How could a holy God do this? It's a mystery of God's love for us. And then from that, he's like, well, to the degree of grace in which I have received. So now I will give grace away. So there's now a calling on his life to to go to those who were far off, to to leave the ninety nine to go save the one we saved about this morning. And the fourth thing is then the nature of suffering that goes along with that. So literally for Paul, he was in prison suffering and said, I'm willing, listen, I'm willing to go through anything as long as those people who are far off could receive Jesus. And in fact, I'll stay in suffering for you for the rest of my life. If it means you can walk with God, know him and fall in love with him and be loved by him. Right. And in that, that means for us, then he's like a model for us. As I have done, so you do. And so there's the nature of our own suffering, death to self as we live our lives in behalf of our, our conversion. We've received this own mystery or far from God. Now we have a calling. And in that, it's a death to self so that others may live. Right. So Paul kind of press pause to paint that picture. And then he picks back up and says, okay, now let me me finish my prayer for you. Okay. So you kind of press pause to hold on before we go any further. Let me say this. Let me tell the story and then we'll dive back into the prayer. And that's what we just read in verse 14. Okay. So 14 to 21 is Paul now praying. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the father. Paul is looking back to chapter two. If you remember, we looked at this. If you don't remember, you can go back and listen on podcast. We talked about the nature of chapter two, the the work of God, taking these Gentiles who were far away from God and and he brought them into family and he brought them into unity. And this was just revolutionary. It was an ultimate, like it is the ultimate integration, right? It's the ultimate integration of two people who were far off, who were living hostile to one another, who hated one another, says God says, my plan, in fact, my wisdom is that you would become one people, 
You would live and love one another. You're not just in the same country. You're not just in the same house, but you were stacked upon one another. And, and this is crazy. And so Paul says, for this to happen, man, I got to pray for you because you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to make this happen. That's what's happening. He's praying a prayer to make happen what he knew they couldn't make happen in their own strength, right? They could not live in unity. They could not do it. They could not be stacked with one another. They could not do it in their own strength. He says, so for this reason, because of the things I've just said, man, I've got to pray for you all. And I gotta seriously, seriously pray for y'all, right? That Jew and Gentile together is one part, same family, right? Man, I need to pray because you need the power of the Holy Spirit moving inside of you. And then he kind of, I know this is an important part, so for this reason I kneel, right? This idea of kneel, it, it obviously points to a couple of things I believe are important for the conversation. We're gonna look at one a little bit. It's this. Kneeling obviously shows reverence, right? It shows a reference and it shows a readiness to obey, which is really important. But also in the Greek, this is really cool. It represents an expression of emotion and feeling. I kneel and in this represents an emotion and feeling. So the idea is that Paul is passionate. He's, he has these feelings and these emotions about, about who he is praying for. But he's also passionate and has feelings about what he is praying for. Right. He he wants for them what has defined the greatest breakthrough in his life. He wants them to experience the very things that he's experienced, the very things that have changed his life. And the idea is saying, I'm going to kneel for the father. I'm passionate about these things, about what I want, what I'm praying for. And I'm passionate about who I'm praying for, because, listen, I've experienced it. You can experience it, too. Like, you know, those moments, right? When you, when you go to a restaurant or you go to vacation or you chew something, like chew like a gum, right? Or whatever it is. I don't know. It is. You just think it's amazing. Oh my gosh, you've got to try this. Like seriously, I'm just like I'm so passionate about this. You have to experience it for yourself. And so in this of him kneeling, in this of him showing us a desire to obey, it's also a sense of like, I'm so passionate about the things that I have for you and that I'm praying for you because it will change your life. And then he shifts into the prayer, verse 16 through 19. So the prayer of Paul is specifically about believers experiencing the empowering of the Holy Spirit, God, in their lives every day. Like the idea of need Every day. These are the three areas he is praying for that the Spirit will do in their lives. He's praying, one, that Christ will dwell in their hearts. Two, he's praying that they would know the love of God. And three, that they would be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. So three things, right? There's an, he's saying, I'm praying the Spirit would empower you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, so that, that you would know the love of God. Height, depth, width, breadth, right? And you would be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. So let's dive in first. Paul is writing those who are already Christians. He's writing those who are already Christians. So all three of these things already belong to them as described by Paul in the earlier verses. If you read through chapter one, chapter two, they, in, in it, like he's writing Christians who've already, who already have Christ dwelling in their hearts. They have already seen and experienced the love of God. They've already been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've already experienced this fullness of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, what is Paul praying for? 
What is he praying for then? They're already believers. They've already received all of these things. It's this. He recognizes they need to move from knowing these things to experiencing them every day of their life. Paul's prayer is birthed out of knowing that there are believers and all these believers in Asia Minor who have room for growth, who have room for the movement of God in their life because you don't pray for something if there is not some need for it. You don't pray for something if there's no need for it. Paul is looking and recognizing they've already received, they've already experienced in some degree. He's saying you have to move from just knowing about it, even from your past, to experience. Listen, that was important. You need to move from just knowing that it happened in your life to that it's to be an everyday reality and experience of your everyday life. These are Christians who had experienced the grace of God. They've been brought into the family of God. They received the promises of God, but there was still a need of a deeper work of God's spirit every day in their life. We can't separate this prayer from Paul's later declaration of, of call to obedience in Ephesians chapter 518, where he says, don't get drunk with wine, but be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a present tense imperative. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's present tense imperative saying, so every moment of every day, you need to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit because you can't do these things in your own strength every day. You need to be baptized again and again in the Holy Spirit. Again and again, a need of the Holy Spirit. The disciples got filled with the Holy Spirit three times from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 3. Do you hear that? The disciples got filled with the Holy Spirit three times from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 3. It's amazing, right? And so he's saying to them, you still need every day for the Holy Spirit to move, every day for him to fill you, every day. So what Paul's getting at in this prayer, right, is that without the experience of God's loving presence, we will live without power. His love and power are legally ours, but if we never draw on it, then we are living spiritually poor, this is the heartbeat of what Paul's getting at. So the second thing in these verses is Paul does not pray for their circumstances, although he would have cared about them as a good spiritual father. Like, do you, how do you normally pray? Do you normally pray about specific circumstances? Because I think most of us do. We pray for we pray for our marriages. We pray for our children. We pray for a test. We pray for a, some person who so said we pray for circumstances. But Paul in this is not praying for circumstances. Instead, he prays for this complete knowing of Jesus so that they can handle any circumstance. He's praying for these three primary things we're going to look at here in a second because he knows you have all these circumstances. We each, if you think about each individual, we have our own individual circumstances we're dealing with. I can't name all of them, right? But I'm going to talk about the things that you need. We're going to look at these in a second. Because if you have them, then you can handle any circumstance. You understand that. Those of you who were kids or you have kids, remember your parents? They, they weren't involved in all the circumstances and everything that you went through, were they? That you went to school, they weren't there. 
right? You would go to the events. They weren't there. You go over here. They weren't there. What did they do? They taught you and they trained you and they raised you up. And if hopefully they were praying for you. Why? So that when circumstances arose, because they had been, you had been taught and trained, they were praying for you. You would respond correctly. That's what you hope with your own kids, that you've raised them in such a way that when circumstances arise, that they will respond properly. That's what Paul, we see here. He's not praying for all their circumstances. He can't name them all, but he is praying for these things in their life, because if they're present, if the power of the Holy Spirit awakens these things inside of them, then they can handle any circumstance that arises. Press pause. As we dive into these things, it's really interesting. Maybe you can do your own assessment of your own life and people around you. I wonder, I and mean, I find people who just all of a sudden start spiraling in difficult seasons or in difficult moments. That seemingly are having a really hard time handling situations that arise. If really one of the primary sources of their tension is that one of these three, one of these three things have not been awakened in fullness in their lives. And so what do we see Paul talking about? Paul's praying, number one, for a confidence in their salvation that Christ dwells in their hearts and not far off. Like, he's not praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts because they're not believers. He's praying that they would be uh, an awakening God's spirit to know that Christ, by faith, dwells in their heart because he loves them. Like, how would things change in your life if every moment the Holy Spirit would just remind you, don't forget that God dwells in you. He's not far off from you. He is with you. Therefore, you are never alone. You, listen, are never Lacking anything in life because Jesus dwells with you. Therefore, every decision you're making, listen, every decision you're making is not being made in a vacuum because he dwells with you at all times in every moment with his divine wisdom, with his divine compassion, with his divine knowledge, with his Divine joy, right? It's like he dwells with you. He's praying that the Spirit of God would awaken this understanding, this confidence in their salvation, that Christ dwells in their hearts. It's not just, and salvation's not just a memory from a moment of something that happened in my past. And I can tell that story from 20 years ago, but I look and say, I'd say almost like, like he, he saved me today again from my own flesh, from my own struggles, because he's with me. He dwells with me. It's like this. I never go into a fight alone. Like every guy loves to talk about the guys that they would take into an alley and fight with, right? Yeah, I mean, I take him, I take Big Doug with me into an alley, right? Come on, Doug, let's go, right? I told a story yesterday about my brother, my brother, um, my brother by marriage, whatever, not brother by marriage, by uh, my stepbrother. 
And stepbrother Brian's six foot two, 230 pounds, and he has, like, he's just hair all the way up his entire body, right? I mean, it's just an amazing thing. He's just a man's man, right? And so, like, we were just telling the story yesterday that when I worked, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but basically, there was this guy, we were working together back when I weighed about a buck 35, right? It's like I was skinny as a rail, and nobody was scared of me, right? And this dude is like, we're at the boat shop, and he's just, he's just railing on me. He's super mad at me, and he's yelling, and he's screaming at me, yelling and screaming, and all of a sudden, there was a door, a hidden door this guy didn't know about. And my stepbrother walks out holding a wrench and just rubbing it with his with this rag and just staring him in the eyeballs, just like this, right? Just staring at him and just staring and rubbing. And the guy goes, ha-da, 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 and he turned around and walked off, right? I looked at Brian and said, dude, thank you, right? I never dwell alone in any spiritual battle I'm fighting because Christ dwells with me. God wants to awaken that reality inside of us. Sorry, I made you cry. Now, sorry, I just knocked this thing. It's not worrying me. Number two, he's praying for a confidence in the love of God. He's praying for a confidence in the love of God, they would know the height, the depth. Like he's saying, listen, you've been rooted and established in love and your salvation. It's like the cross of Christ, man, it's like for you. But man, I, I want you to have confidence every day. I want you to live in a revelation, a knowledge. The Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can awaken inside of you is what Paul's getting. I want you to be awakened to the, the height, the breadth, the width, and the depth of the love of Christ that's inside of you. I mean, this is powerful three confidence in being filled to the fullness of God in their, in their lives every day. Like the Holy Spirit every day wants to fill you. He wants to move inside the key in each of these is the power of God's spirit, specifically awakening God's movement in their life and specifically God's love. Why? Because God dwells with those that he loves. He fills those that he loves and he wants those he loves to grasp. The reality that they're being loved, right? Grasp is an important word in verse 16. It says, does not mean the same thing as to believe. To grasp something means we grab hold so as not to let go. He wants us to have so awake, like, so awakened inside us. We go, oh my gosh, God, no, no, no. We can never lose the revelation and the awareness of God's love, of your love for me. I cannot, I'm going to grab hold of it. I'm going to hold it and I'm going to hold it forever because it changes everything. It changes everything. When I, when I, when I move from just a mental knowledge of your love to the experiential reality that Paul has experienced, it changes everything, right? And so in this, right, Paul's asking the Spirit of God to move in power in the area of God's love for the churches in such a way that his readers will grab hold of it as their source of life and never let go and be changed by it. The key for Paul is all of this. Move his readers from knowledge to experience of God's love. He wants to move from a knowledge to an experience. And he's recognizing they can't make it happen in their own strength, right? He has to pray. He's praying for it. He's praying. It's something that's birthed out of prayer and nothing else. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. Jonathan Edwards in his sermon, A Divine and Supernatural Light, said this. It's on the screen. You're going to follow along. He says, there is a, this is Jonathan Edwards' language, so it's like pithy, right? But there is a difference between having an opinion, like a knowledge that God is holy and gracious, and having a sense 
having experienced, right, of the loveliness and beauty of what holiness and grace, of that holiness and grace. There is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense or experience of its sweetness. A man may have the form that knows not how honey tastes, but a man cannot have the latter unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. The whole point he's getting at is this. We can have a knowledge of God's beauty and grace, or we can have the experience of it, and that changes everything. Just as we can have a knowledge, we've experienced people telling us about honey, or we can actually taste it for ourselves. And now when I say honey, you have an experiential burst of knowledge that flows and go, yes, the taste of honey is so sweet and whatever it may be, right? Do I know that honey is sweet, Do I have a, or do I have a sense of its sweetness? Listen, I could study all day long the nature of honey and not study all day long the nature of God. But there's something about both that when I taste and see, the writer of Psalm 34 has the same desire those around him when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It goes on to talk about the fear of the Lord, and, and at the very end of it, he says, but man cannot have the last, excuse me, it says at the very end of it, it says, come my children, listen to me, I will teach you, right? I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will, I will teach you, right, in the moment, how to be, how to move towards tasting and seeing of the goodness of God. David had tasted and seen, experienced the love of God, and it changed him forever, this is the heartbeat of God. He wants to move it. This is the heartbeat of Paul. It's like, I want to move you from, from just knowledge to experience. The how-to, how do we do this? Three prerequisites, right? Three things, three responsibilities from our part. Number one is regular, sustained, seeking prayer, right? We find these, these prerequisites. What's happening in these scriptures? What do we learn from them? Well, first, Paul's saying, man, you have to pray these into existence, like, you have to be people who are prayer, who are interacting with. Because here's the deal. Listen, for Paul, he could not have known the experiential reality of God and the work of the Holy Spirit apart from actually being in relationship with listening. That's why he's praying. Like, our responsibility is we have to listen we, we have to put ourselves in a position of movement, of, of, of listening, right? Of, and here's the deal. You can pray for yourself, but you pray for me and everybody else. Pray this prayer. Pray this prayer, right? It's a short but brief but constant prayer. Pray this prayer every day. God, would you awaken this in, the, in our body? Paul's praying it not so we just read it and memorize it. We know just so we experience it and pray it for ourselves. Second, there's a level of obedience. He says, for this reason I kneel. The kneeling speaks to a level of submission, right? That the Father has authority. It also speaks to a place of intimacy. I kneel before you. I'm praying. I'm submitting myself to you with great passion. I'm praying. Like, we're not earning from God in this. It's just simply the responsibility that we have as children of God. We have to be, like, as Paul, modeling. We do what Paul modeled just as Paul was doing what Jesus modeled. Right? Paul's modeling a life of prayer. He's praying on, modeling a life of obedience. And he's, he's modeling a life of community, which is number three. Community is, I, I want you to have power together with all the saints to grasp the love of God. Like the reality is, if you want to know God, you need to be deeply involved in community, for it's in community that God expresses. He's praying not for individuals, He's praying for the body. Listen, 
It's why it's so important that you come to church or you come to a gathering. It's why it's so important that you're involved in some level of discipleship, right, or some level of small group or DNA group outside of, uh, of Sunday morning, that there are people that you are sharpening and rubbing shoulders with, right, or this like that you're doing life with, the idea that you're, that you are sharpening and doing communities so that you can experience God and express God to those that are around you. Community. The prayer of Paul speaks, no, I'm, almost, I'm at the end, right? The prayer of Paul speaks the reality, this prayer speaks the reality of God's full power manifest in our lives and the reality of knowing the fullness of God's love in such a way that we know it and we experience it. We must be convicted of this need. We must be awakened to this need of our lives to to have confidence that he dwells with us every day and what that means. We have to have a, we have to be convicted of a con, like that we have a confidence and need a confidence in his love for us. We, we need to have this conviction that, that the knowledge and this reality of the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and needing that is something that we need every day because there is nothing better to give ourselves to pursuit of than these things. What are you giving the best of your pursuit to? The best of your mental energies? What are you giving and looking for fulfillment in? And Paul's coming and saying, there's a shift. You have to be convicted of this fact, guys, because I've experienced it. And oh, my gosh, you have to experience it, too. You have to move to this place because this is what you were designed for. You can't make it happen in your own strength. We have to be people of prayer who are saying, God, awaken. God, move. God, do, because we can't bring it about in our own strength. But, God, when you, we're going to submit ourselves to an obedience, God. We're going to be in community with others, God, praying and believing for this. And, God, we're going to live, listen, in expectation and biblical hope, a confidence that we will receive and live in it. Why? Because the result of verse 20 and 21 is that he can do even more than you could ever imagine. That's what it says, right? Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, right? To him be glory. The idea is like, man, he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask in these things. Could you imagine how church and life would change if this were the awakening? Father, we pray this morning that you would, by grace, God, begin to awaken us to your love. That's why Paul's praying. It's like it was a brief prayer, but God was a constant prayer that he was continually praying every day for the churches in Asia Minor. Because, God, he wanted them to move from a place of just knowing about to actually tasting and seeing that you were good. And God, when that happens, it changes the church, it changes lives of individuals, it changes families, it changes the spiritual atmosphere of a community. God, as we are people who give the best of our energies in pursuit of a confidence, that you dwell with us, that you love us, and that you desire to fill us completely. So Holy Spirit, 
So we submit ourselves to this morning and say, your will be done. Amen. This morning, I just want to invite you to respond. Some of you just need to sit before the Lord and say, God, I feel like I've prayed this and I don't know your love and I just need to confess it's, I'm, I'm frustrated. So you say, God, I, I just want to commit the best of my energies to a new life pursuit, God, of, of seeking after you, of experiencing your love, and then praying for all my brothers and sisters that they too would experience this. Maybe you just need some ministry. We have ministry teams that will be available, and they want to just come alongside of you. Or they just want to pray for you for an awakening to these things or whatever else God wants to do in your life. We have communion available. And the whole purpose of communion, the purpose of it is just to awaken us again to the mystery of the gospel of Jesus, to awaken us to the fullness of his love inside of us. That's this picture. But this morning, if you came to, to an obedience this morning as an act of worship or an expression of love to bring your offering, that's what this is for right here. You bring your offering here, the box back in the back, it's a giving kiosk outside. We want you to have an opportunity to worship this morning through your offering or your tithes and giving back to them. All right. So we're officially done with the service this morning. I'm not going to come back up here. So you are released to go as the Lord leads, but I am asking that you would respond to him in some way this morning with a heartfelt prayer and preferably a new life pursuit that you give yourself to, to be loved so that you in turn could love. He responds to the Lord leads.